All right, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to try to finish up the part on the armor of God tonight. This is the ninth message in the series. So Lord willing, we'll wrap this part up tonight. Don't forget our super conference is coming up in just another week and a half. We're, we're getting really close to this thing. And be praying about the meeting, that it'll be a great meeting. We're going to review a number of things tonight, since this, it, this does wrap up our study on the armor of God. So absolutely vital appoint, uh, of vital importance, because like you look at verse 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God. In verse 13, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God. This is something you need. This is something that every believer in this congregation, every believer around the world needs. Do you realize when you look at scripture that tells us, for instance, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, that we are not ignorant of the devil's devices. The devil doesn't have any new devices. The same old devices still work. And because we don't seem to learn and we don't take God seriously when he gives us commands, we don't take it seriously. We decide we're going to sit in judgment on God's word to decide whether or not this is really an important thing. Has nothing to do with what God says about it. Has to do with how we feel about it. And that's the first step to lead us to defeat. Obviously, uh, you go back into the Garden of Eden. Once Eve started listening to the devil, once she even entertained the conversation, yea, hath God said, and then an outright denial, ye shall not surely die. Once she entertained that, she was already beat. Once you start entertaining that the word of God might not be true, then you are already defeated and you've taken away your main weapon in the warfare. Now, as I've said many times throughout our study that I'm convinced that the answer to all our real problems are found in Scripture. And in Scripture, we have a number of things that are borne out in several places in the Scripture. We have doctrines that teach us and that ground us. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, "'Go ye therefore and teach all nations,' baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, that's an interesting statement. Teaching them to observe. These people saved by grace need to be taught to observe all things whatsoever he has said unto us. Yes, I'm saved by grace, and there are things I'm not supposed to do, and there are things that I am supposed to do, and I'm only hurting myself as well, as well as hurting others by not paying attention. Then there are warnings that are given to alert us and to prepare us. Now, we can handle the doctrines. We handle the warnings. But there are also rebukes to correct us. And that's where we have the problem. We don't like the rebukes. He tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. Now, there's the rub right there. We don't like to be reproved. We want to think we're all spiritual enough like we are, that we all have enough spiritual discernment that we would really know better if it was important. Israel got in trouble because of uh, that kind of feeling. In uh, the book of Judges, chapter 17 and verse, uh, verse 6, he says, In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which is right in his own eyes. Doing right in your own eyes is going to be doing evil in the eyes of the Lord, and you're headed for trouble. Then there are promises to sustain us and there are encouragements to comfort us. There is comfort in the scripture, but I want you to get this, that comfort is not the main thing. God is not nearly as interested in us being comfortable 
in our Christian life as he is us being obedient in our Christian life. Now, thank God the Holy Spirit of God is the God of comfort. He is the comforter. And thank the Lord he helps us in the time of troubles. But I've got news for you. God's people have always had times of troubles. And God's more interested than our obedience. You take the book of Job. Job was hurting, but God was more interested in Job staying right than he was whether or not he was hurting. Does God care? Oh, yes, he cares. We know he cares, all of that. Now, the book of Ephesians begins by telling us to believe right about our security, about our purpose, about our protection, about salvation, for by grace are you saved through faith. And then he starts talking about living right, and some of the things that he talks about have to do with how we treat one another. Again, it's not about how happy I am, but how am I treating others? He says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Uh, the reality is we, have to, we live in a world with people and they're not perfect and you're not perfect. They're not perfect and I'm not perfect. But those that God has redeemed, I have a responsibility to exhort them and encourage them in their walk with God and in obedience to the Lord. I'm not to be the one that's standing in the way of their growth, but in the way of being a blessing to them. We get to chapter 6, and in chapter 6, he goes into this matter of the uh, armor of God. Now, in that, he talks about the problems that confront us in this world. He talks about the wiles of the devil that are there to deceive us. The devil is a deceiver. He's called a lot of things in Scripture. Deceiver is simply one of those. You've also got the deceitfulness of sin. So here's the deceiver who uses the deceitfulness of sin on our deceitful hearts, for the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We need the armor. Man, we need it. You're no match for the devil in this matter of deception and knowing the difference. You need the armor that God provides for you. And then there's the battle to defeat us, and it is a heavy battle. The devil doesn't back off. The devil's going to see to it. He throws a punch. He knocks the wind out of you. He doesn't go back to his corner and wait to be called back in. He goes right after you again. That's the devil. And by the way, all these, see all these brethren that are seated around you here. Guess what? These people have had to face his onslaught also this week. You're not the only one that had trouble this week. Some of you have been sick. You're not the only one that's been sick in the last two weeks. A lot of people have been sick. We all need one another's prayers. Uh, this is a battle that is going on. And then there's the evil day to defile us, and we all have to face that. If you ever get to the place where you think, well, I don't have to worry about ever doing this or that, you're probably halfway there to committing that sin. That's why the Bible says in uh, Galatians chapter 6 and beginning of verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So we've got these commands. We're to be strong in the Lord. We're to put on the whole armor of God. And we are to stand. Now, as we went through the whole armor of God, you remember in verse 14, the first thing he says is, have your loins girt about with truth. Have your loins girt about with truth. What is truth? The word of God is truth. Jesus said of the word of God, thy word is 
truth. His word is truth. Why is it that there's a big movement to try to retranslate the scripture and continually retranslate the scripture? Because if you can change the words, you change the thoughts, and you change the words and the thoughts, you have left truth and you've allowed error to enter in. It is about truth. Have your loins girt about with truth. You can believe God's word. Amen. The just shall live by faith. What God says in his word is what he meant. He wrote what he meant to write. He didn't make any mistakes about it. And his word is true. You need to get this matter settled. This is the beginning of the armor. You miss this to where you think that you are the decider of truth. You're already defeated. You've already lost the battle. You're not going to be standing like you should be standing. And then he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And you remember that the breastplate of righteousness is not the righteousness of Christ. He puts the righteousness of Christ, he imputes the righteousness of Christ unto each one of his believers. He does that. That's his work. This command is for us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Not the righteousness of Christ, but righteousness. It, uh, that opening, that breastplate... Uh, was, of course, an identifier of who the soldier belonged to. It protected the heart. And our heart, of course, needs to be kept with all diligence. We need to have a proper testimony. The breastplate of righteousness. Jesus said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Oh, that we would find God's people hungering and thirsting after righteousness, that ought to be the desire. When I have found, I've been pastoring long enough to see this, that unfortunately most people are concerned about being just spiritual enough so that people will think they're saved and they want to see how much they can get by with and still be considered a Christian. And if that's your case, if that's how you're thinking, then you do not have the breastplate of righteousness on. You need to get in the scripture. Find out what God calls righteousness, and that needs to show in your life. And then he talks about the, um, the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We're, we're to be spreading the gospel. He says, and above all, take the shield of faith. Now, there's a number of reasons for that. Now, he tells us, gives a very practical reason because by it, we can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The devil's firing at us. Uh, that's to be sure. We need this breastplate of, I'm sorry, not the breastplate, but we need uh, the shield of faith. Uh, the just shall live by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Where you say God's word is true. Let me give you Old Testament verses on this. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. And then he says, take the helmet of salvation. That has to do with that assurance of salvation that comes, of course, from the word of God. And then the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, again, this is not a buffet. You don't go through and pick out the parts of the armor that you want. He says, take unto you the whole armor of God. You need everything. Now, he's gone through the whole list of the arm, armor, but he's not done. You look at verse 18. Praying always. Praying always. I mean, the commands are heavy. The armor's heavy. And you are going to need God's protection in this armor. 
there's something to be doing while we're putting on the whole armor of God and standing. And that's praying always. The battle is going to be long. The battle is going to be hard. You remember in uh, chapter 17 of the book of Exodus when Israel with Joshua went out to fight the Amalekites and as long as Aaron and Hur held up the arms of Moses in prayer, Israel won. And when their, his arms got heavy and it began to go down, then the Amalekites would win, teaching Israel something about this matter of prayer. It does make a difference whether or not you pray. It makes a difference whether or not I pray. I'm not a Calvinist. I believe God gives promises that he meant about prayer. If I don't pray, we have not because we what? Ask not. I guess God believes in prayer for us, doesn't he? He tells us to pray. You want to see God do some great things in your life? Pray. Get a hold of God. Stand for him. The Bible says, even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. This gets down to waiting on the Lord in prayer. The next time you want to do a study through the book of Psalms, find out how many times God tells us to rest in the Lord, to trust in the Lord, to wait on the Lord. Uh, we, we think somehow that we're just so busy, we don't have time to do all that stuff. The reality is if you're too busy to pray, you're just flat too busy. You're going to miss the mark. You're not going to be all that you can be for the glory of God. We are to be praying always. In Luke chapter 10, you've got Jesus going to the house of Mary and Martha. And of course, Mary, she comes and sits at Jesus' feet She's listening to Jesus. Martha, she gets cumbered about by much serving. And she's a sister who gets mad at her sister because Mary's not helping her. Mary's listening to Jesus. And so she asks Jesus to tell Mary to help her. She says, Mary has chosen that most needful thing. And that's the, the time at Jesus' feet. You need that time in prayer. Having all the armor is fine, but you've got to be communicating with him. So now that you have the armor, two things you got to do. First of all, praying always, basically for self, but then, uh, and also watching, which is for others. Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, first of all, praying always. And this prayer here, notice what he says in verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication, get this, in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, I remember many, many years ago, we hadn't been saved real long, but I was growing in the Lord. I uh, led the singing for the pastor's Sunday school class. And I can remember, man, I just was swallowing up the pastor's lessons that he, that he gave us. And he came out one Sunday after I, after I opened the Sunday school class with, with some singing. And he had a clock. And he says, I want to encourage you about your prayer life. He says, what I want you to do. And he took that clock and he moved the, the, uh, the minute hand that was on the 12. And he moves it on down to the 2. He says, 10 minutes. How many of you will give God 10 minutes in prayer each day this week? And I thought, well, this would be a breeze. 
This will be easy. Yeah, 10 minutes. Who can't pray for 10 minutes? That's really simple. But, you know, I, I hadn't been saved all that long. And I, I prayed a lot of those satellite prayers. You know, those prayers that go all around the world, don't hit anything. Uh, I mean, after all, you can say, Lord, bless all the missionaries. Well, that didn't take very long. Well, Lord, bless the sick of the church. Bless those that are hurting. What else is there? I mean, when you pray like that, who are you really praying for? And what do you mean bless? What is bless? Bless keeps us from naming some very specific things that we ought to be praying for. Now, we've got some people in the church that go through the prayer letters for the different missionaries and they put the prayer request that different missionaries that we support. They put those prayer requests on sheets. Why? Those missionaries put that stuff in the letters because they're expecting that Christians are going to pray for them. Not just say, Lord, bless them generally, but actually pray for them, to seek God's face for them. Uh, they'll have names of people that they've been trying to reach and are, and are wanting to get saved. They'll, sometimes there'll be family members that are very, very sick. In some cases with missionaries, it's a mom or dad that are back home in the States that are having some tremendous physical problems, and they're trying to decide whether or not to, when it would be the right time to come home and to be with their parent there in the hospital or whether to stay there on the mission field. they got tough choices to make. They want you praying. And we've got people that go through the letters for you. You don't have to stand in the back in the hallway and read all of the letters. They have condensed them. They have put key prayer requests. They're out there. Pick up the sheet. Take it home with you. And pray for missionaries during the day. You know, you'll find when you start naming individual requests and individual missionaries, uh, you'll find that you can easily pray for an hour. And you will not have mentioned everything. But if you're going to do the satellite praying like I was doing, man, I found that my praying was just so shallow. I had to, I had to start meaning business with God about this matter of praying for others. As a people, we need to be doing that, need to be praying for others. You get up in the middle of the night. Have you ever considered that maybe the reason you couldn't sleep last night was that God was keeping you awake so that you'd pray for one of our missionaries? Do you ever consider that? Or is the first thing we do, we go in and get some kind of medication to put us to sleep? Have you ever asked the Lord, Lord, you have me up right now for me to pray for somebody? Who is it, Lord, that you'd like me to pray for? And ask him and then spend some time calling out to the Lord in prayer. Asking God to move in a powerful way. Uh, God wants us to pray like that. We're to come to him in awe and dependence on him. But notice he says, always praying Always, with all prayer and supplication, Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, men ought always to pray and not to faint. Oh, no, Lord, I don't need to pray. I've got the armor on. No, you still need to pray. You still need to get a hold of God. You still need to spend time with him. As Jesus said in John 15, 5, without me, ye can do nothing. As Paul writes in Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Some of those false Bible translators, they don't, they don't like that verse like that. They, here's how they put it. I can do all things. 
That's not what Jesus, that's not what the Bible says. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. We need him. It is a constant show of dependence upon him. It pleases the Lord. The Bible says that we are to pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Philippians 4, 6. Finally, let's see. Uh, let me go ahead and turn over to it. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. The scripture says, uh, that's Colossians, uh, General Electric Power Company. There you go. Uh, 4, 6. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. Now think about Israel for a minute. You remember when they went into the promised land, the angel of God gave them the plan to take Jericho. It was an amazing plan. They were to march around the city of Jericho one time for six days. And then on the seventh day, they were to march around it seven times. And then they were to blow the trumpets and God would knock the walls of Jericho down. God gave them a fantastic victory. So now here they've won a great victory. The next city that's closest is a little town called Ai. It's not very big. So the people come to Joshua and they say, uh, Joshua, we don't need everybody to go into this battle. All we need to do, let's just send a few people up there and we'll take out the city of Ai. Now, they didn't know something. They didn't know that Achan had taken of the accursed thing. They didn't know that no matter how many soldiers they put out in the battle, they couldn't be victorious. They couldn't be victorious because there was sin in the camp. They looked at their own strength. They saw what they were able to do against Jericho and figured everything would be just fine. I believe with all my heart that had they prayed and sought God for a plan for AI, God would have told them right then, you can't go out to battle till you get clean. You've got sin in the camp. It's got to be taken care of. So with their army, they go out into battle. 36 Israelites die. The people are defeated and they are crying. They are a whipped people. Why? They didn't seek God. All they had to do was seek God. When they got God's plan later on, then they ended up defeating uh, Ai. And of course, they got the sin out of the camp. Later, you remember when the Gibeonites heard that Israel was killing everybody that was in the land, they decided to come up with a plan to get around what God's command was. And what they did was they dressed up some of their ambassadors in old clothes. And they took old bread. And what they told the Israelites when they came upon them, because the Israelites would have put them to death, they said, we come from a far country. We're from a long ways away. When we left, our shoes were new, our clothes were new. When we left, this, this bread was fresh. It was right out of the oven. And so Israel, they look at it and they say, wow, evidently they're from a long way away from here. Let's go ahead and make a deal with them. All they had to do was talk to God about it. If they had just talked to God, God would have told them, no, destroy them. Take them out. They ended up being a thorn in the side of Israel for years after that. All because... They thought they could judge on their own. They didn't need to seek God. You take some of the most basic things in your home. You need to seek God. You need his wisdom. You may know exactly why your child's gotten a little rebellious. Why don't you get a hold of God first before you open your big mouth and blow everything? Seek God's face first. 
Find out what God wants you to do about it, how he wants you to handle it. Don't just fly off the handle because you're mad that your child has disrupted what you've been doing. By the way, this is important right here. In Revelation 5.8, I want you to get this. This is good. Revelation 5.8, and when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of colors, our odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Which are the prayers of the saints. Do you realize that God bottles up the prayers of his saints and they are a sweet odor unto him? Your prayers mean something to God. Now, I don't have any doubt that we have a number of people at Madison Baptist Church who have filled up not just a few vials, but many, many gallons of odors of their prayers that God rejoices in. Tell me, how big a vessel do you think you have filled up with your prayers? I mean, with your really praying, with your really getting specific and down to business when you were talking to the Lord for others. He saves those prayers. In my office, my filing cabinet, I've got a couple of files that says special things from kids. And some of those are just simply kids that have been in our church or in our school or in our Sunday school. Sometimes it's been bus ministry kids that have made just cute little notes and I've taken them. And uh, today I may not even remember their name. Maybe they haven't come here in years. But I like to open up that file and just look at these notes from kids expressing their love, their appreciation for the bus workers that have come by or some Sunday school teacher that meant something very special to them. And that note means something to me. I've also got another file that has things from my children and from my grandchildren. I've got notes from when my daughters went off to Bible college and things that they wrote me expressing their love for me as their daddy and, uh, and for my wife. And I like their times. Listen, I just get out that file and I just read those old letters. I'm sure they've long forgotten what they've written uh, in those notes. But they're still precious to me. Now think about this. God's got some vials with your prayers in it. And it, those, those prayers are special to God. He pulls them out. It might have been something that you prayed for back last, last July. Maybe somebody that was working on a bus ministry and was concerned about some bus kid's mom and dad and God has put that prayer in a bottle and he likes to get it out once in a while and here you pray that all over again. These prayers mean something to God. They're special. How many prayers? Have you been pleasing God with your prayer life? He wants to hear your prayer. It means something to him. That's why he says when he says without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You diligently seek him, it shows that you are trusting him. And <coughs> pardon me, that is a blessing to the Lord. Now notice what he goes on to say here at the end of verse 18. He says, with all perseverance and supplication. Now get this, for all what? All saints. All saints, who's he talking about? He's talking about the redeemed. Praying for all saints. Now, for everybody here, there are some saints that are easier to be around than other saints. 
Say amen right there. You say, well, it shouldn't be that way. We ought to love them all alike. I, listen, I can love my children alike. There are times when one's easier to be around than another one. That's just the way it is. There, you look at just the size of this congregation here on a Wednesday night. We've got so many different personalities. Any of you parents, let's say you've got three kids. All three of the kids are different. They're in the same home, got the same mom and dad, been living under the same rules, but their personalities are different. It makes them the individuals that they are. And sometimes there's one that just always seems to really irritate you, and yet that same one can be the sweetest kid in the world at another time. And you don't know how to explain it. They all mean something tremendous to you. Well, guess what? Everybody may not be everything that I necessarily like to be around or enjoy the personality type that they are, but if they belong to him, then I'm to be praying for all saints. They're his redeemed. I thank God that he loved me when I was unlovable. I was just, just thinking, Brother Limbaugh, surely thanking God for that too. But <laughs> thanking God for what? That God loved me when I was unlovable. Weren't you thanking God for that, Brother Limbaugh? I knew you were. Thank you very much for going along with me on that one. For all saints. Well, they're not always everything they ought to be. You're not either. You're not either. There are times your attitude isn't what it ought to be. And there's times when their attitude's not what it ought to be. We're saints. He's working on us. He's making us like his son, the Lord Jesus. If you're expecting everybody to be everything that they ought to be, you need to look in a mirror for a while. You need to get a grip, get a clue. And we do have a responsibility. Do you realize maybe some of those people would be better Christians if they had some better Christians praying for them? Think about it. Maybe the problem is your lack of prayer for them. Far more than their, the problems that they have. Did Paul practice what he preached? Let me give you several verses. Romans 1, 9, he says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit, in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Philippians 1, 4, Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. Colossians 1, 3, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Philemon 4, I thank my God making mention of thee always in my prayer. Look around tonight. Is there somebody here you've not prayed much for? Is there somebody here that you've not just gotten hold of God for and asking God to work in their life? You don't have to know all their problems to pray for them. You don't have to know all their struggles to pray for them. But since we're to be praying for all saints, we do have a responsibility to the saints. 
What kind of a fellow saint have you been to other folks around here? Exhorting one another daily while it is called today. You know, normally people who get disgruntled are people who stop praying. And I like the way the Apostle Paul puts this in verse 19. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me. He says, yeah, I want you praying for all saints. And yeah, you need to get a hold of God in prayer. Uh, You need to do that. But he says, I want you praying for me too. I need your prayers. The best Christian in this room needs and wants your prayers for them. Just think of who you might consider to be the best Christian you know at Madison Baptist Church. I'll guarantee you that Christian wants you to pray for them. I, I can't believe that there's a Christian here who thinks, no, no, don't worry about it, I'm fine. I'm fine, I don't need your prayers. I'm good, I'm good. No, because the truth is, the closer you get to the Lord, the closer you want to get to the Lord. The closer you get to God, the more you realize that you're not near as close as what you thought you were. Even the Apostle Paul would pray in Philippians chapter, uh, chapter 3, Uh, When he would say in Philippians chapter 3 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. Bible says, watch ye therefore, pray always, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things. Luke chapter 21 and verse 36. Remember when Jesus told Peter on the night before the crucifixion that Satan has desired to have him. And he tells Peter to pray. And then he takes Peter and James and John into the garden. And he leaves them at one place while he goes in further and prays. He comes back an hour later and Peter's not praying. He's sound asleep. James and John, they're sound asleep. Is it any wonder why he he couldn't stand that night for the Lord Jesus? And Jesus warned him. And he didn't get it. He missed it. You see, this this prayer thing is absolutely vital in the life of believers. It shows your trust in him. It shows your love for him. Some are going through financial stresses. Are you praying? Some are going to church and it just seems dull every time you go. I got news for you. Other people are being blessed. If it's dull to you, probably because you're not praying like you should be praying. Something's missing somewhere because God wants to give you some things from the word. There might be somebody close in great sin. Are you praying? Do you pray for power for the Sunday school teachers as they teach? And every Sunday school teacher, understand, you may have some young person that's going to be facing some great tragedy this next week, and they need you to have already bathed them in prayer for what they're going to be facing. This is reality stuff. We look at God's word and we treat it like, nah, it's not that big of a deal. We can always emergency prayer. Well, the reality is it's always, it's always raining on someone out there and the need is great. Right over here in this section, right on that corner, right there, uh, when I'm walking around the auditorium and just praying, there are just times, and I can't tell you how many times since we've been in this building for the last 20, uh, 21 years that I've stopped right there and I'll sit right there on that pew like I'm sitting on Jesus' lap 
and just kind of pretend, put my arms around the Lord Jesus and say, Jesus, I just want to sit here and love you for a while. I just need some time with you. Now, maybe you don't need times like that with the Lord, but I need it. I need it. Sometimes the burdens get heavy, and I, I, I look at things and I say, man, this is way too, this is way too deep for me. <coughs> way too deep for me. So he's told us all about the armor. And then he says, in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may, may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. How about if we pray, God, please help us as a people, as a church, to open our mouth boldly this year. So many lost people all around us. And God has brought in thousands from all over the country. Matter of fact, all over the world for that matter. People from many other countries. People who need the gospel. But how are they going to call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Somebody's got to tell them. And that somebody has to be us. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. I know if we take all the armor, and we are to take all the armor of God, that that's still, that's not all there is to it. We need that open communication with our great God. Lord, speak to our hearts. Challenge us about this matter of our own personal prayer lives. As we're starting here a brand new year, what an opportunity to make some decisions about prayer. And Lord, we'll thank you as you work in our lives, for we ask it in Jesus' name.